0: Welcome back to In The Guts, the weekly podcast digesting gut health research so you don't have to. My name's Evie, that's Echo Bravo Echo, and this week I'm back with a slightly better audio setup and stacks more confidence to explore more about the basics of digestive disorders and gut sensitivities. Today we're changing tune a bit from last week where we spoke about IBS and the low FODMAP diet and delving into something that you might not have heard of before. It's something that after six months of the medical wild goose chase has come to change my life entirely. Food chemical intolerances are a condition which cause very similar symptoms to IBS, but are caused by very different gut factors and external stimuli. To invite you into the world of food chemical intolerances, I'm going to tell you my story of a wild goose chase, a breakthrough, and how I can now finally keep up with my ridiculously busy life. So what's the go? What's a food chemical anyway? There are lots of kinds of food chemicals and they might not all be what you think. Some food chemicals are actually naturally occurring and aren't added by humans. We hear a lot of Karens talking about the dangers of artificial colours and flavours, But natural food chemicals in many healthy foods can be just as much of a problem for sensitive people as the artificial ones used as additives. One such chemical are a group called amines. You find these in foods which have undergone fermentation, storage, or an aging process like cheese, wine, and cured meats. You'll find them in smaller doses in other foods too. Amines are produced by bacteria which breaks down amino acids. Usually, The enzymes in your body would break these down, but if your enzymes aren't doing their job for some reason, then amines can build up in the body and cause an allergic-like reaction. Some medications, including antibiotics and older types of antidepressants, as well as herbal and nutritional supplements, can deplete these enzymes. Symptoms like having headaches or migraines, having the itches and behavioural problems in young kids are all common with an amine intolerance. Salicylates are another type of food chemical, which are found in lots of fruits and vegetables. But aren't we told that fruit and veg are good for us? Well, they absolutely are. But just like amines, some people aren't able to process the salicylates that they contain. Salicylates act as a natural preservative for fruits and veggies, and you find them concentrated in the skin or on the surface of a food. Again, headaches, migraines, skin irritation, nausea and hay fever-like symptoms are super common with this intolerance. Glutamates are another food chemical. They're an amino acid that you find in abundance in both plant and animal proteins. It's one of the most important type of proteins, actually, and our bodies can generate glutamic acid without even ingesting it through food sources. Glutamate is also the most abundant neurotransmitter in the brain, but when ingested can cause similar symptoms to salicylates when someone's intolerant. You'll find glutamates in MSG flavours, chicken stock, chicken salt, So you might have to stay off the two-minute noodles for a while. There are also lots of added food chemicals like sulfites, synthetic colours and flavours and more, which you can develop an intolerance to. The Karen we mentioned before is kind of right to be a bit concerned by these as there is good evidence that they can cause both irritability and hyperactivity, particularly in young children, but in patients our age too. But back to my story, I was gonna talk to you about all the doctors and specialists I've been dismissed by when I've tried to sort out my symptoms, constant nausea and headaches, swollen eyes and joints, brain fogginess, constipation and bloating. But then I realized that if you're a young person, particularly if you were assigned female at birth, then you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I can't count on one hand anymore how many times I was asked if I was pregnant. Was I sure? Was I really sure? But eventually out of sheer luck, I landed in the hands of a gastroenterologist, that's a doctor who specialises in the digestive tract and the liver, who is literally amazing. She was engaging, smart, knew her shit, and most importantly, she took me seriously. After explaining my medical history and other conditions, she booked me in for a gastroscopy. That's when you fast for a half day, and then the doctor puts you under anaesthetic and sticks a camera down your throat. Here they're able to look around in your stomach and into the first part of the intestine to look for inflammation or ulcers or anything else that shouldn't be there. They can also take a biopsy to check for specific conditions like celiac disease. It's pretty nifty. Well, when my results came back um, and coupled with the symptoms I was having, there was significant inflammation in my stomach and I ended up with an IBS diagnosis. This was the first diagnosis I'd been given that actually fit my symptoms. Then I found an awesome dietitian because my gastroenterologist had suggested trying the low FODMAP diet. Check out episode one for what that entails, but it's the only evidence-based treatment for IBS that we have at the moment. And it's said to help nearly three quarters of IBS sufferers with their symptoms. But none of my symptoms went away, which was really disappointing, but my dietitian was a step ahead. We had another trick up our sleeves. We were going to test for food chemical intolerances. So how do you figure out if these food chemicals, like amines, salicylates, and glutamates are causing your symptoms? There's no blood test or anything that you can take to test for an intolerance. So we use the Royal Prince Albert Allergy Unit, or RPA, elimination diet to help test your response to food chemicals. Some people call it the fail-safe diet. If you Google that, then you'll find lots and lots of recipes. But let me tell you, it's, it's not a breeze. Like the low FODMAP diet, This diet involves three phases to test for and treat intolerances, elimination, reintroduction, and personalization. Firstly, elimination. Here, you have to take out all sources of amines, salicylates, glutamates, and more for a few weeks to get them out of your system. Here, we're trying to see if when we take them out, your symptoms reduce or go away. If they do, then we can say with reasonable confidence that some kind of food chemical is causing you problems. When I did this phase, it was pretty challenging. I follow a vegan diet, and as we just heard, almost all fruits and lots of veggies are off the table when it comes to eating a low chemical diet. I'm also from a Middle Eastern background, so I usually cook with heaps of spices and herbs, but herbs and spices have really high concentrations of salicylates, and even worse, no coffee. I work and study full time, so turning off my life support like that so abruptly was pretty brutal. Luckily, beans, lentils and chickpeas are still committed, as well as silken tofu, Brussels sprouts, white potatoes, leek, garlic, lettuce and a few other kind of bland vegetables. I bulked this up with rice, rice noodles, quinoa and a few other things to stay full. But I can say that after the elimination phase, I never want to look at a celery again, but it was definitely worth it. For 12 months leading up to this phase, I had been having almost daily headaches, ranging from just persistent for the whole day to completely debilitating migraines with constantly swollen eyelids, which made it nearly impossible to put on my signature winged liner. I woke up almost every day feeling nauseous and awful, but for those three weeks of elimination, after the caffeine withdrawals had died down, that is, I'd never felt better than I did then no headache no bloating no nausea no swollen eyes i could actually focus on my work for once once my babe dietitian and i had confirmed that food chemicals did have some kind of role to play in my symptoms we moved quickly onto stage 2 the reintroduction stage there were some pretty weird things i have i've had to do so to test amines for example i'm going to have to eat between 60 and 120 grams of chocolate a day along with three bananas We're testing each of these chemical groups in turn before moving on to the next and checking which ones specifically are leading to my symptoms coming back. I can confirm that the salicylate challenge was the worst week of my life. Well, not the worst, but definitely top 10 in the worst things to happen to me personally in 2020. Towards the second half of the week-long challenge, my bloating and nausea came back when I was loading with salicylates, especially when I drank coffee and everything just got worse again. We've definitely established that salicylates were a problem for me. As I'm talking to you right now, I'm starting the amine challenge tomorrow and I'm still feeling pretty awful about what the salicylate challenge did to my body. I might have to add an extra day of rest between the two phases to make sure that all my symptoms are gone before starting on amine so I don't mess with the results. Quick but very important note here, some people are a lot more sensitive than this, than me during this challenge like on the first day of the challenge, having only eaten some small amounts of food chemicals, they might have really awful symptoms. It took me a little bit longer than that. At this point, if that's the case, the Royal Prince Albert Allergy Unit recommends that you stop the challenge. You've already established that you're sensitive and there's no point doing even more damage and putting yourself through that hell. So you'll notice that I've talked about these chemicals in fruits, veggies, meats, cheeses, So does that mean that people with food chemical intolerances can't eat anything, especially vegans like me? Well, it's not that simple. These gut things never are. And that's where the third phase, personalisation or liberalisation, comes in. When we think about food intolerances, we might think about people who are gluten intolerant or who have celiac disease. When they have a single crumb of gluten, it's going to send them off into a world of pain. You might have gone to school with someone who had a peanut allergy, where even just touching a peanut made them sick. But food intolerances, and specifically food chemical intolerances, are a little bit different. And when we talk about managing them, we consider the concept of a load. Anyone who is intolerant to a food chemical like this has a threshold or a load of the chemical that their body can handle. It could be as small as a teaspoon of cumin, or it might take three double shot flat whites to cause a reaction. During the liberalization phase, we test how much you can handle by slowly increasing the amount of the chemical you have each day until it causes a reaction. This is because your body might be producing enough enzymes to process some amines, for example, but as soon as it gets overloaded, it can't handle the heat. In the long term, the idea is that you test how much of something you can have so that you don't have to avoid it entirely. This is the stage I'll be starting soon. It's slow going, but it's definitely worth it i have never really felt better after this breakthrough. I can actually engage with my stupidly busy life without feeling dead at the end of the day once we've finished all this. It's important to remember that you can develop a food intolerance at any time during your life. We see a lot of people, kind of like me, developing food intolerances around the, uh, their early 20s. So you might have been perfectly fine in ingesting some of these food chemicals right up until now, but you know you might be starting uni or starting your first full-time job and something isn't quite right. If any of these symptoms sound like you, food chemical intolerances might be something to consider the next time you visit your GP. If you think that this is something that might be affecting you, try visiting a bulk billing GP and asking for a referral to a gastroenterologist. They'll be able to refer you for a gastroscopy like they did for me, and refer you on further to a dietitian if they think that that might help you manage your symptoms. But again, like I said in the first podcast, lots of these digestive and gut health disorders end up getting misdiagnosed as each other. It's important that you rule out all of the possible causes before embarking on strict elimination diets like this, because they are difficult to get all your nutrients. Once I finish this elimination diet, I'm looking forward to giving you all an update on how it went, because I really think that we found the answer after 12 months of medical hell, to be quite honest with you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform and to head across to our social pipes, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, to keep up to date with the latest news and research. That's all for today. Enjoy digesting this gut health research.